Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll pick up again in Exodus 13. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, good to be in your house again this evening to close out another Lord's Day. We thank you for <clears throat> the grace of this morning, <clears throat> opportunity to set under teaching, to respond to the preaching of your word. And Father, we ask that uh, you would move in our hearts this evening from the word as well. Uh, our prayer is that you be with the ones that have been mentioned and those that are traveling during this time. We ask that uh, by your grace you continue to extend mercy to them. We thank you, Father, for uh, the opportunity we have to gather together as a church family. Bless us as we open the word this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 13. I read... <clears throat> Excuse me, last Sunday night I read the entire 13th chapter, but <clears throat> we're not going to uh, do that this evening. I do want to pick up, this is basically what we covered uh, last Sunday night. Uh, first two verses are pivotal in the identification of, of uh, the fact that uh, now Yahweh is going to form a nation. Uh, Israel had no, did, had no cap uh, capability of establishing a nation. So what you're going to see beginning in chapter 13 all the way through the end of the book of Exodus is the formulation of a, um, uh, of a nation that is and that was unlike any other on the face of the earth. In fact, unlike any that has ever been. The United States is not Israel. And although there's quite a bit that... Uh, uh, that helped to formulate our government that's taken from Exodus, Israel is different. So this had to be, the again, a, a divine intervention, if you please, and this is what we're beginning to see now. So <clears throat> the Hebrew people have started their Exodus. They have left uh, the land of Goshen. They've dwelt in Succoth for a short period of time. And then in verse 1 of uh, chapter 13, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. So immediately uh, the Lord starts to formulate the, uh, the mode of worship that he desires. And the very first thing that he addresses is, the birth of the firstborn into families, uh, human families, and then, the, uh, interestingly enough, uh, animals as well. And, and that is, that's, that's a very strange thing, but that has to do, of course, with the sacrifice that's going, uh, going to take place. So the Lord declares this is mine. There's three reasons for that. Israel was God's firstborn. We looked at Exodus 4.22. It mentions that. Uh, the Lord had taken the firstborn of the Egyptians and he had spared the firstborn of the Israeli people. So this was a promise that God fulfills. The second thing, because the firstborn was considered the best or basically in, in, the, in ancient time considered to be the healthiest, uh, the best is always given to God. And that should be a, uh, uh, that's a, the, the predecessor for what we're to do today when it comes to our tithes and our offerings. And the third thing, as a reminder all, to all generations of God's redemption, uh, he is focusing on the firstborn. And he carries this forward, if you would. Go, go to the next slide, <clears throat> Brother Tim. 
beginning in verse 3, 3 through 7. Let's read those. And Moses said to the people, remember the Lord had spoken to Moses. So now the Lord, uh, Moses is conveying this to the people. The Lord did not speak directly to the Hebrew people. He spoke through his prophet, and Moses was his prophet. Moses said, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of the place, of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month of Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which you swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you will eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be among you, seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. So it begins with the consecration of the firstborn. It continues now with the establishment of what we consider to be the Passover, but what is often mentioned in the Old Testament as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that's what he, he is uh, uh, addressing here. Uh, unleavened bread is considered to be pure. So one of the earmarks of the Israeli people is that they were to be pure. One of the earmarks of the Church of the Living God is that you and I are to be holy, we're to be set apart, and by the power of the Spirit of God to be pure, to live pure lives or as much obviously as we can as, as saved sinners. So on the seventh day, he says, after this consecration, you want to, uh, I want you to celebrate. I want there to be a feast. And this carries through uh, here in Exodus. It's also mentioned in the book of uh, uh, Leviticus and then uh, readdressed in the book of Deuteronomy. So the Lord is very keen that his people, that they begin their time in service to him and worship of him with a feast. It begins and it ends with a feast, which is basically a celebration. And we're told, uh, Paul would write in, in Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing but in everything give thanks. So one of the earmarks of a grateful people in, in, in Israel definitely, definitely should have been grateful. Now, I think the majority of the people were. We find out later on, some not so much. But that is an earmark of a child of God, that we're thankful and that we're grateful. We're not looking for perfection in this life, but we are looking for opportunities to celebrate, opportunities to thank the Lord, and we, we do that with the Lord's Supper. That's a celebration, should be a celebration. It's a humbling experience, but also it's a celebration. Uh, verses 8 through 10, let's read those. <clears throat> and you shall tell your sons in that day, or your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. You don't get, uh, because there's illness or whatever, obviously if, if you're indigent, that's, that's something else, but uh, the, this is to be commemorated year to year. Now there was a time toward the, uh, 
end of the Old Testament and even during David's time that the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was not celebrated. And so it became the responsibility of the prophets and in some cases the priests to introduce again the Feast of Unleavened Bread so that the people would do this very thing. Um, we'll see that as we go through, again, the remainder of the book of uh, Exodus. One of the things <clears throat> that we, one of the takeaways from this chapter is reminding our children, our grandchildren, our progeny, if you please, of the goodness and the grace of God. And that's something that we should always be willing as parents to do is to, and our kids have, uh, obviously they have difficult times, difficult days, just as parents do. But this is an opportunity to remind them that it is the goodness of God that causes us to desire Him and to love Him. So remind, and that's what he's saying. He said, I want your sons, I want you to teach your sons what has taken place. After the crossing of the Red Sea, which is just a few chapters uh, ahead, you will find in the writings of the Old Testament that many of the prophets mention the Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea. The crossing of the Red Sea was the last line of demarcation that separated Israel from Egypt. And that is vitally important to who Israel was supposed to be. That hasn't taken place as yet. When we think about this application in our lives, often there are lines of demarcation. There are lines or characteristics in our life or places that we come to, shallows, the Old Testament calls them. That when we come to a shallow, when we have a, 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 an encounter with the Spirit of God through the Word, through preaching or teaching, that there's some perhaps rededication. It, it certainly happened when we became, when we were born again. There are times when we need to reconsecrate and refocus our lives. That's what the Lord is, uh, this is what Moses is telling the people as the Lord has told him. So he said, you'll tell your sons in that day, this is what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. Have you shared that with your children? This is what the Lord did for me. And he will indeed do the same thing. Now, toward the end of this passage, he talks about a very strange um, ritual, if you would. Verse 9, it shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of uh, Egypt. Now look over at verse 16. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture here. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. These, this is a reference to the phylacteries. You've heard Jesus talk about that. About that. Um, uh, I know it was mentioned in the King James, the New King James, 
I'm not sure the, of the ESV, but it ought to be. It's, 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 it's uh, a ritual that is followed along here. Look at verse 4 of chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. This is a Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Okay, this is the greatest commandment, by the way. This is what Jesus said. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. First thing that you need to do is commemorate and consecrate them in your heart. What happens on the outside is just a reflection of what is on the inside. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk with them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, there's a perpetual observation of the Shema. We're never, and this was given to Israel, but you and I, it's still the greatest commandment, and it's fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. However, you and I still have a responsibility to love the Lord our God in our heart, our soul and our strength. That has not lessened. So talk to your children about these things. Do so in a perpetual way. And verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Okay, the Shema should always be in your memory. So jump ahead to chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 11. <clears throat> the book of Deuteronomy is also, has been called the second giving of the law. But you will notice something here, verse 13. And, and it shall be if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So you want to obey him, but you want to obey him because you love him. Not because it's a duty, and indeed it is a duty, but because we love. That's an affection that we have for the Lord. Then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain. And the land yield no produce, and you per perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. So a reiteration of what Moses recorded in chapter 6. You will write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. So the obedience and the, the obeying of the law is to be because we, the Hebrew people, love the Lord. Same thing applies today. We are 
to, once we're born again, obviously we're given a new nature. We have opportunity because of that to express the love of the Lord in following the Shema, following the second command, which is love your brother as yourself, and to demonstrate this in hearts and lives of people that we come in contact with. So this is the sign that is given to you. Now the Jews use this passage to institute the practice of wearing phylacteries, which are basically small boxes which hold parchment with scriptures on them. Uh, and they were held to the forehead or on the hands with leather straps. The Pharisees, Jesus himself, and I think I'm, that may be on the next slide. Go to the next slide, if you would, brother. Yeah, let's turn to Matthew 23. The Pharisees did this, so they were obedient to what Moses had instructed the Hebrew people, but they carried it. They were obedient because it was a, a legalistic opportunity for them. See how righteous I am. I do these things, and therefore I am righteous. So it was a display, and Jesus himself would say that. Look at uh, Matthew 23. Um, <clears throat> Jesus spoke to the multitudes, verse 1, and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sat in Moses' seat, which is an interesting statement, okay, because they were meticulous about following Moses' law. A few weeks ago, we talked about the Mishnah, you remember? We talked about the, uh, uh, the Torah. We talked about the, uh, uh, the one that starts with a G, and that failed my mind. Uh, fails me now. Background? Gemara. Gemara. Yes. The Mishnah, the Gemara, and the Torah. So the Pharisees were, and the Torah wasn't compiled until about 150, 200 A.D. So that didn't exist in Jesus' day, but the Mishnah and the Gemara did. So they were meticulous about putting all these things together so that people would see them and say, oh, what a righteous individual this is. Now, they were not wrong in doing this until you see what Jesus says. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. He goes on, they love the best place of the feast, the best seats in the synagogues, the greetings in the marketplace to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called a rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. And do not call anyone on, your, on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven, and do not call the teacher, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and who humbles himself will be exalted. So the Pharisees, and they that so it's been probably fourteen hundred years or so since Moses 
wrote that to the Hebrew peoples uh, when we're in Jesus' day, about 1,400 years. So Jesus condemns not the phylacteries, but the wearing of the phylacteries and how they were used for display. So Jesus is saying, instead of taking something that was meant to just to, to remind you of the Shema, you now have made, and they were very, in some cases, very elaborate. The high priest would have, would have a, a phylactery if he was uh, a Pharisee. He would have uh, a phylactery, obviously, that was bound uh, uh, on his forehead, and he would have both arms, in some cases, covered. You may have seen um, pictures of uh, or video of Hasidic Jews. And sometimes these Hasidic Jews will have uh, leather straps that will extend, not, to, not the curls, but leather straps that will extend from their yarmulkes. That was the purpose of those leather straps, to bind the phylacteries, or that is the purpose. You sometimes will see them hanging from their shirts or their robes. That's the purpose, to bind those phylacteries on their wrists. So... It was, some of them were very elaborate, some of them were very expensive. And Jesus said, basically, it's just an ostentatious display that I'm more spiritual than you are. It's like carrying around, perhaps, a family Bible. Some, some of you have family Bibles that are huge, and uh, years ago, uh, I remember I was... Uh, preaching for liberty and we were at a church in Maryland and there was a man that <laughs> came in the church with carrying a family Bible which is fine and followed on but I thought how, how interesting that I mean how many Bibles do you want you can have Bibles now on your phone okay but it's just interesting that people would go to those links sometimes to display. And perhaps, uh, I didn't know the gentleman, didn't speak to the gentleman, about that, but I found it strange many, many years ago when that took place. So the Lord chastises the Pharisees. He's, this is a good thing that Moses gave you, but you've taken it to the extreme. Okay? Um, one of the commentaries that, I'm using here, so perhaps Satan will imitate this practice when the number of the Antichrist will be applied to either the hand or the forehead of all who take it, and that's found in Revelation 13, because Satan is a great counterfeiter. Now, we'd, obviously, we can't, uh, we can't make prophecy walk on all fours, okay? We have to be careful with these things. Okay, let's go back to Exodus, and let's bring this to a close this evening. <clears throat> Verse 9 says, It shall be as a sign to you and on your hand as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. Okay? With a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Yahweh did not command that literal boxes would be tied to the hands or the forehead, but that was what proceeded from this. It was not a requirement. 
Now, it's a good thing if we commit Scripture to memory. That's part of an opportunity we have to, to that the Lord, that the Spirit of God uses to cause us to pray and to cause us to, to uh, celebrate. But <clears throat> what he's talking about here is that the word, and we've read the Shema, should be in your mouth at all times. So these are the beginnings of the, uh, of the focus on how Yahweh desires to be worshipped. And it goes, as I said, through the book of Exodus, actually goes into the book of Leviticus. So we're going to stop, excuse me, stop there this evening with verse 10. Any comments or questions on what we've covered? Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Word. We thank you, Father, that uh, for, the, for the focus of the Shema and the fact that we are to obey you because we love you. It shouldn't be something mechanical. It shouldn't be even something that is uh, ritualistic. It should be because we've been motivated by a change in our hearts and our souls by the Spirit of God. Bless, I pray, every family that is here represented. Keep us safe as we depart this place tonight. In Jesus' name we pray.